It just feels good to kind of be coming back together, right? Doesn't that, does it feel the same to you? Because when we're sitting up here, it feels so good just to see your faces and see all of your faces. And to be able to know that we're kind of coming back together and we're here in the choirs is back with us. And now the bell choir will be with us in a few moments. And uh, to know that we are gathered together as the, as the people of God to celebrate and rejoice and to worship and praise God, whether we're here in this sanctuary or for gathering on this virtual platform um, at home. We just are, we're, we are so thankful that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. You know, we have been in this um, worship, this sermon series uh, called Away in the Wilderness Through the Season of Lent. And, you know, we've, we began by talking about the, the presence of God that we find in this in-between time, this between yesterday and tomorrow, between now and then. How God is there in the middle of nowhere providing for us, sustaining us, and encouraging us. And then on the second week of our series, Kristen reminded us that when we look up and see the stars in the, in the night sky, that we can be reminded of God's promises and, and the fulfillment of those promises that he made to Abram when he told this elderly gentleman, a little long in the tooth to be having children, that he and his wife would indeed have children, and they were, their descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And just to be able to know that God honors and remembers and keeps these promises, that out of his abundance, we receive his promises. And then last week, we talked about how the world can tempt us, tempt us as the church, to forget that we are God's people, to forget what we are the church to forget that we have faith and we have practices of our faith. But God is still there, even in such a wilderness, to lead us, to sustain us, encourage us, and remind us to remember our faith, to remember God, and to continue the practices of our faith. That's the kind of God that we have, and that's the kind of God that we are celebrating through this season of Lent. You now, as we... Um, Get ready to hear the Old Testament passage read. I want to say this is a kind of an uncomfortable passage. I'll go ahead and put that out there. It's, um, but to kind of really understand it, we need to kind of back up a little bit. We're, you know, Joshua chapter 5, to really understand what's happening, we need to go back to Joshua chapter 1 to know that Moses has passed away, that the people are now ready to enter the promised land. Moses had been shown the promised land. The people can now see the promised land. But it's a generation, a generation of adult warriors who came out of Egypt, who crossed the Red Sea, who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They have all passed away. And now God has raised up another leader, appoints Joshua to lead the people. And in chapter 2 of Joshua, we find that the Israelites have sent spies into the promised land to cross over the river, to cross over that barrier, and to survey the land, to survey Jericho. And we hear about Rahab and how she hid the spies. And we also hear how the people were so afraid of these Israelites who had crossed the Red Sea who had conquered kingdoms and kings, the people trembled with fear of the Lord 
and the Lord's people. And then we hear about how the, uh, the, the priest pick up that ark upon Joshua's command and to lead this congregation of these tribes, all 12 tribes, across the Jordan River. And when those priests step into the river, the water of the, of the river, the waters just back up. And the entire congregation, all 12 tribes, cross over on dry ground to the far side. They enter the promised land just as they had exited slavery, bondage, with God leading and them walking on dry ground, away in the wilderness. We're also told that a man was appointed from each tribe to pick up a stone in the, in the middle of the riverbed and to place it as a marker to make this monument there on the far shore, to say something special, something miraculous, something divine happened here when God saved God's people, led God's people through the water to the promised land. And so whenever the children of the, of the future generations see this monument, they'll ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them that God did something miraculous here. God saved us here. God brought His people, fulfilled His promises here at this spot. Now we find the whole company of 12 tribes of Israelites camped at a place called Gilgal. And we read in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 12. When all the kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the Israelites, until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gobeath Harlow. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the warriors, had died during the journey through the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt. Although all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people born on the journey through the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the Israelites traveled 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the warriors who came out of Egypt, perished, not having listened to the voice of the Lord. To them the Lord swore that he would not let them see the land that he had sworn to their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of all the nation was done, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so that the place is called Gilgal to this day. And while the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the fourteenth day of the month in the plains of Jericho. 
on the day after the Passover, on the very day that they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, the manna ceased on that day, and they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. May God bless the reading of the word. Well, wasn't that a pleasant read? I mean, what do we make of all this? This speak of circumcision and Gelbath Harlow and Gilgal. What do we what do we do with this? You know, when I was young, I was in I was a young child. I was in middle school. Now don't don't get nervous. This is not a circumcision story. My um <laughs> my parents um, bought season tickets to Florida State football games. And I don't remember a lot about those games because back then Florida State is kind of like they are now. They're just, they weren't very good. And so the games weren't very memorable. And I was young and I had all kinds of distractions at a university football stadium. But I do remember some things that happened when I was very young. I remember on one occasion that the weather was so cold that I could not get warm. I just couldn't. I couldn't dress warm. We were in Florida. It should never get that cold in Florida. I remember holding my dad's Stanley Thermos trying to warm my hands. He could bring coffee in back then. I remember on one occasion... We, I've never seen this guy before. I've never seen him since that I'm aware of. This guy was sitting right next to me in the stadium, and, and he, was a, he, was a, he was a big guy. I mean, physically, he was a very big man. And spiritually, he was a big man. He was a big Florida State fan. Huge. And I remember him just, he had this big coat on. And he would stand up and just yell for the team. He would yell. I mean, there was, it wasn't even an appropriate time to yell. He was yelling for the team. Go Florida State. This is the best blankety-blank-blank team I've ever... I'm just like... I'm just, I mean, my eyes were this big. And I'm looking at him, and he, his pockets were just stuffed with hot dogs. Aluminum-wrapped <laughs> hot dogs. And every time I looked over, he had one in his hand, and he was just eating a hot dog. The things we remember, right? Well, on one of these occasions, I remember we were playing, it was the Florida State-Florida game. Big rival. Huge. And this was back before political correctness was a real thing or um, animal rights wasn't that big of a thing yet. This was, this was way back. So don't hold it against us. <laughs> but on this Florida and Florida State game, at halftime, when most football fans go down and get snacks or whatever, the marching bands play, there was, um, there was a kind of a break in the action. And before the bands took the field, um, there was this member of the Seminole tribe, a man, standing out in the middle of the field with full Seminole regalia on. 
dress, just dressed up. And then um, alongside of him, measuring him up, and he was measuring up this Florida alligator, like a real adult alligator in the middle of the field. And so began the part of the program of the Florida Florida State halftime show, which was gator wrestling. And so they, he would wrestle this gator in the middle of the field. Now, every year that I saw this happen, it didn't happen but like once or twice maybe that I saw it, but the, the Seminole tribe member always won, always. The Florida Gator never, ever won the halftime show. Now, the game, different story. <laughs> and I have no idea what happened in Gainesville, Florida, at the halftime show. I don't know who won, and I don't really care to think about what would have happened. But I, I think about this whole notion of putting this uh, Seminole tribe member warrior facing off with the enemy, the Florida Gator. And it says something a little bit about humanity. It says something about cultic practices, how we remember things and why we remember things and the importance of ritual. This whole thing about in the middle of the field between the, the Seminole warrior and the Gator was just a reenactment of previous battles and anticipation of future battles using very archaic signs, words. That's all this was. And it was also a way to rub it in the face of the Florida fans who were there. But really, for the Florida State fans, this was all about remembering who we are, who we're facing and the victories we've had, and the victories we anticipate. And that's what's happening in Joshua chapter 5. The people, the Israelites, have crossed over this Jordan River, the barrier to the promised land. They have received it, they have inherited it, and so will begin the conquest from Gilgal. They are remembering crossing over the Red Sea, through the Red Sea on dry ground, out of slavery, out of bondage, into the freedom of a wilderness. And in the wilderness, they would be led by God, their God, our God, the one true God. And they would face enemies, and they would face trials and temptations. And sometimes they would win, and sometimes they would lose. But God was always there leading them to victory. And in obedience they would win, and in disobedience they would lose. And now we have them camped and crossing over the Jordan River. This promise that had been made generations, hundreds of years before that there's a promised land flowing with milk and honey, and it's going to be yours. Your descendants will inherit this. I will sustain you. I will lead you. I will give you this as God's promise. And here they were, standing on the banks of the Jordan River, standing in the promised land, a land that flowed with God's provision, 
as sweet as milk and honey. And that's where they celebrated. They offered a Passover meal, a feast, recalling the Red Sea, recalling coming out of Egypt, recalling God's victory over the gods of Egypt, over Pharaoh, and anticipating the victories that lie ahead in the conquest, in the inheritance of the promised land. What a powerful image. But God tells Joshua, the land is about to be yours, but you still got some preparations to do. I'm a covenantal God, and you're a covenantal people, and we've made promises. And to inherit this promise, you've got to enter the covenant. All these people who have not entered the covenant through circumcision have to enter the covenant. Then, then the conquest, then the promise, then the inheritance, and then the crops and the provisions, the milk and the honey. God is leading the people from one shore to the other, from one way of life receiving manna in the morning and quail in the evening to milk and honey, crops on the far shores. We just have to prepare. We have to own our covenant with God. And that's what Lent is all about. Just preparing for our relationship with God. And there will be an uncomfortable hill of sins laid down. Brokenness laid down. Because God wants us prepared. Now, if we take seriously the season of Lent, we will find ourselves giving thanks for God's provision in the, in the wilderness. Looking and anticipating for God's abundance in the promised land. We will prepare to celebrate our annual feast of Easter which declares to the world that we worship and praise and serve and relate to a loving God who desires to share his grace and love and abundance. If we take seriously this season of Lent, we will find ourselves at an uncomfortable hill, preparing ourselves to renew the covenant with God, our covenant with God, God's covenant with us to be a holy people, a people set apart from the world, to be a testament to God's grace and a reflection to God's light. If we take seriously our preparations, we will find ourselves standing with dry feet on the other side of the river, inheritors of God's promise. And if we take seriously these promises of God, we will do all that we can, all that is required to prepare ourselves to receive the promise. And if we find ourselves taking these 
preparations and promises seriously, we will find a world that trembles and desires, is desperate to experience peace and grace, love and forgiveness. And that will be the people of God crossing through the barrier of the Jordan River, crossing through the barrier of Gilgal, a stone rolled away to inherit the promises of God. This morning, we've heard a little about the work of the church that has been done, is doing, and will continue to do through the work of UMCOR. I invite us to imagine, just imagine, how the grace and the comfort and the relief experienced through the signs and the words and deeds of UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief, are received by people trembling with fear, trembling with anxiety and loss. Imagine being a part of this reflection of God's grace and peace. Marching crossing borders between yesterday and tomorrow, between the wilderness and the promised land, between pain and peace, between darkness and light. That's the people of God. That's the kingdom of God. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let us be those people. Let us be that people who cross through the barrier to find the stone rolled away to find sin and death conquered, to find three days later the resurrection of Easter. And let us walk into the world unafraid, a world that trembles in fear, a world that is anxious, a world that is dark and seeks peace. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.